0: Spirit of God just really spoke to my heart that this message this morning, it's probably a little different uh, than what you typically hear from a Pentecostal standpoint, uh, but very scriptural, very founded and and true nonetheless. And I I think that out of everything, if you want to turn to Exodus 14, we'll get there in just a minute. As I was praying this morning, I, I felt the Lord just speak to my heart that what a vital message this is for our young people just coming back from camp. Uh, which they had a great week of camp. April and I went Thursday and uh, snuck in and surprised them for that service, and it's just powerful. Jeff Little. I've got to get Jeff Little to come to our church. Jeff, Jeff is phenomenal. He's one of those people that can take really deep truths and simplify it, and it's, it's meaty and it's weighty. A lot of times evangelists at, at teen camps and stuff, the, the messages are not very weighty. They're, they're very basic. But Jeff can do a great job bringing out deep truths in, a, in just a really a great connecting way. But they had a great week at camp. But can I just talk real with you for a minute? I'm not going to hide my words. I'm just going to be real with you. Um, being raised in Pentecostalism, being raised in this church myself, I struggled for a long time with the traditional approach Uh, that holiness is very important, okay? Holiness is vital, amen? But the traditional Pentecostal view um, was in such a way that if you missed on holiness a little bit, your salvation is gone. Uh, It was presented in such a way that you are not saved because you messed up a little bit. Uh, You better repent If you've said a curse word in the last seven days, you better be at this altar weeping bitter tears before God and hope that He forgives you. And when He forgives you, you have a clean slate again. Now don't go mess it up. And I struggled with that as a young person because I found something to be true that at the time I I, I, uh, condemned myself about was that I couldn't live up to that. That I would sin... In that I was constantly running to God and repenting of things that he had already forgiven me of. As a young person, I believed that every mistake I made annihilated the covenant, my commitment to Christ, and I was lost. And so what that did to me is, is I gave up, and I said, what's the point in even trying? It's impossible. You know what? It is impossible. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need divine intervention. In today's message, young people, I want you to grasp this because you've come home from camp, you've had a great week, God's done great things in your life. You've had five days where there's been no media, no internet, no phone service, uh, none of that stuff, no distractions. You've been focused on Christ for five days. You come home, you say, saying, I'm going to rock my world for Jesus. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then, and then like two days later, you mess up in some area of your life where you say the wrong thing or you forget to do something. And then you start condemning yourself and say, well, God doesn't, Now, I'm not even saved anymore, so why even try? Don't do that. It's a lie from the enemy. If you mess up, if you do something wrong and you realize it, repent and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Help me to walk beyond this. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about divine intervention, but I want to talk to you about God's divine intervention of keeping us. He keeps us. He protects us. He he walks with us. He's not a God that we can take the attributes of man and place them on Him and say when He doesn't like something, He's like that angry husband that walks out of the door of the covenant and says, I'm done with you. God is full of grace. He's full of compassion and mercy. Now, however, Paul says that we're not to take that grace and use it as a license for sin, are we? He also says, where sin did abound, grace abounds so much more. And then he goes on to say, but does that mean we go on sinning so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. By no means this message this morning is is, is going to be a once saved, always saved message. However, it does lean toward the Calvinistic side of doctrine, but it is in the Word of God. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Armenian. I'm a Word of God person myself. It's somewhere in between, folks. It's not my job to figure it all out this morning, but I am going to look at Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to remind you that last week we talked, well, in this service we didn't talk a whole lot about it, but last week... Uh, what God showed us is that he's a, he's a God that divinely intervenes in lives, and touches lives, and He's interested in being personally a part of our lives. And had I gotten to preach last Sunday, I would have talked to you about him being, uh, God delivering the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, uh, representing that salvation experience, represent, representing their deliverance. And now we catch up with them in Exodus 14, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near whatever that place is. Between Migdol and the sea, they are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Number one this morning, God delivers us and secures that deliverance. God delivers us and God secures that deliverance. We we catch up with Israel here. They're delivered from Egyptian bondage. They've already been delivered. Now they're wandering around the desert and the wilderness. And God says, I want you to just wander around to this place and that place and I'm telling you to do it purposefully because I'm using you as a bait. Did you know that God is sovereign above the enemy? God is sovereign not just above man's enemy, the Egyptians, but He is sovereign above Satan, his angels, anything that would oppose God's agenda, he is sovereign above it. And God says, I know their hearts. I know what they're doing. I know I've already delivered you. I've delivered you from them. them. You're delivered. But now I'm going to mess with them. And I'm going to make you wander around here a little bit until it like a fish sees its bait and says, look at them. They're lost and scared. Here's our opportunity to go in and destroy them and deliver them back into the bondage that they were once in before. And and God said, it's okay though, because it's not going to happen. I'm going to show my glory through what's going to take place here in a minute. We're not going to take time to read verses 5 through 8, but we see in that that obviously the enemy does come back and they do try to overtake Israel again. This is a picture of the mentality of our enemy, our adversary, the devil. Jesus spoke of it, Jesus spoke of it in Luke 11 when He was confronting the Pharisees about some of their own issues, he, he says something toward them about them, but still is based upon truth of how demonic powers work. Verse 24, "...when an evil spirit comes out of a man..." It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. The mentality, church, of our enemy is to not give up and quit once a person has been delivered. Is there an amen or an o oh me somewhere? The mentality of the enemy that we deal with is the fact that he will not quit. Remember we talked about the head. The the head will be crushed, but it will strike his heel. His head is crushed, but he's still striking, folks. And just because you've been saved, young person at camp, doesn't mean that he's not going to ever come face to face with you again. And when he does come face to face with you again, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that God's doing a work through it all. The mentality of the enemy is to always come back and try to enslave us into the bondage that we were once in to begin with. And we have to remember that God has already set us free and God is going to maintain our freedom even though there's some conflict along the way. Can I get an amen? We have got to, even after salvation, even after the cleansing and the presence of the Holy Spirit Spirit in our lives, we must have a continual divine intervention inside of us. We must have continual fellowship with the presence of God and the Spirit within us. He's placed His Spirit there for that reason, and He must be there continually. Jesus said in John 17... Verses 11, he said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. When he says protect them from the evil one, did that prayer get answered? But Pastor Bob, these men, they, they faced horrible persecution. They, they were all martyred except for John, and John just because they couldn't kill him. He died of an old age, but after being boiled in oil. Pastor Bob, they, they, they were protected wrong. The protection Jesus was speaking of was a spiritual protection of their soul. They weren't going to be protected from the natural uh, afflictions of the enemy upon them. Their souls were protected. Let me ask you a question. Are our souls protected today? When we're walking in covenant with Christ, His Spirit is within us doing a work. With Pastor Bob, you're Baptist. You're preaching Calvinistic doctrine. No, I'm preaching the Word of God who He has set up and showed us right here in this passage that Jesus prayed for their protection. And then if you read on in that passage of Scripture, it goes down where He says, I don't pray just for these, but all of those that believe upon their testimony. Who does that include? That's us. He is answering a prayer about us, about our protection. When you enter into a covenant with Christ, there is a protective nature there. What does that mean? That means when I mess up, when I make a mistake, when I sin against God, that He doesn't take me up, wad me up, and throw me away somewhere and say, I'm done with you, you're going to have to start back over again. What that is, it means His Spirit goes, hey, hey, you did that wrong. Stop it. And if you keep doing it wrong, He's going to say, stop it. And if you keep doing it wrong, He's going to bring you to the Scripture that shows you that you cannot live in sin joyfully, that there's a problem here that it needs to be addressed. God is merciful, church. He's merciful. And Jesus wouldn't have prayed for our protection if there wasn't going to be an enemy that was going to constantly pursue us. Here's the cool part. And we're going to move on. The cool thing is is that I also see in that Scripture in uh, chapter 14 is is that God will ensnare the one that tries to ensnare you he is sovereign and tries to and will ensnare the one that tries to ensnare you you say what are you talking about well we see the Egyptians pursuing God's children the ones that have been delivered and now stand before a Red Sea and the, the enemy's coming up behind them God has baited the Egyptians with the lives the, just the, the uh, what's the word I'm missing a word. Help me with the word. you're the associate pastor? Uh, I don't know. <sighs> a lot of good you are. Go to Belize. Um, they were compromised. They were, they were out there in the wilderness, and they, they were in trouble. You know, they looked uh, I can't think of the word. I have a word. Somebody shoot me a word. What's another word for compromised? Vulnerable. There we go. Steve. He's got it. Vulnerable. They looked vulnerable. And easily attacked and all these things. But, but, but God said, I'm going to make you look vulnerable. Hear me. I'm going to make you look vulnerable. But in the process of your vulnerability, I am going to ensnare the one that is pursuing you. It's cool. Hold on a second. How is that possible? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus. Greatest example we can have, right? Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth, puts on human flesh, what does the enemy see? Vulnerability. If he would have stayed 100% God alone, he would not have been vulnerable to testing of sin and pain and and all the things, but he took on this flesh. And because of it, he was vulnerable. So Satan went out and he said, catch this. Led by the Spirit, Jesus goes out into where? The wilderness. Led by what? Led by the Spirit, baiting Satan out for 40 days till he's vulnerable to where he can be tempted. And in the process of the temptation, the enemy comes up and is tempting him. Jesus overcomes. The process of overcoming the temptation proves Jesus to be a worthy sacrifice for the ultimate destruction of the enemy. The enemy was baited in for the testing and God overcame Tell me that ain't cool. And then he goes to the cross and the enemy says he's still vulnerable he's still in the flesh let's hurt him bad let's make it real bad let's make it the worst possible death ever God already planned for the worst possible death ever and Jesus is hanging on the cross the enemy's going maybe he'll curse God maybe he'll disobey the father maybe he'll come off and this whole plan will be destroyed and the reality of it was is that he stayed where he was in his vulnerability in Satan attacking him and who was defeated It don't get no cooler in that church. Now, go back to the children of Israel walking around, being baiting out, baiting out the enemy up against them, and God saying, It's all right, I'm just trying to get them out here so that I can deliver you again. Oh, how we would look at our problems differently if we could grasp this. Oh, we would look at our afflictions differently if we could grasp this. Instead of saying, oh, the enemy's coming after me, the enemy's coming out. oh, pastor, the enemy's just beating me up so bad. Instead, we ought to say, God is going to tear the enemy up. He's using one of his beloved to tempt him to come out here and to lead and lure him out here to do this. What in the world is God going to do to him here in a few minutes? Going to be cool. Oh, we would live differently in affliction, wouldn't we? God wants to divinely intervene in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Everybody say faithful. Faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Huh. I wonder how God will provide a way out of the Red Sea. Let's keep reading. Secondly, as children of God, we should be confident when the enemy attacks. Verse 9 The Egyptians. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hurath. I tried it. Opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? No, they didn't say that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. These people assume the worst of God. Isn't it typical of human beings that when affliction comes, when hard times come, we're quick to assume the worst of God. We blame God. God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you make the air conditioning go out of the church van on the way home from camp? <laughs> why did you? Yeah, Sam, I think Pastor Sam has the this, this spirit of anti-AC. Uh, AC has uh, gone out twice, the parsonage, and the church van on the way home from camp. Do not come to my house and do not get in any of my vehicles. <laughs> We're going to cast that spirit out of you before this is over with. Anyone. We blame God and say, "God, why did you?" God, why did you? God, why did you? When the reality of it is, church, is that we have forgotten who God is. These people have been delivered miraculously. God made a show openly of all the gods of Egypt and brought them out. And the first little trouble they have, they say, "God, oh great, now we're just going to die in the wilderness. Oh, we're going to die in the wilderness. It's God's fault. Die in the wilderness." It would been better to serve in bondage and live than it would be to die in freedom. It's the mentality of, of, of people to do that and to think about that. But the truth is, we've forgotten who God is. God is the one that set you free. Do you really think that He wants to destroy you now? Listen to this, Romans 5. I know I read this passage a lot, but we're going to read it further than I normally do. It's vital and it's important for us to grasp today. Romans 5. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I talk to you about that all the time. It's important for us to understand that even when we were enemies of God, He made a way of salvation for us. Amen? Verse 9, since we have now been justified by His blood. In other words, if we have responded, if we've received that salvation that He's made the avenue for, if we've stepped into that and we've received it, now that we've been justified by His blood, how much more, everybody say more, more, shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, everybody say more, Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God, and what, what, what I'm trying to get us to grasp today is that our mentality is to think God is quick to cut me off, but He loved you before you were saved. How much more does He love you now that you're in covenant with Him? You mean, Pastor Bob, that when I surrender my life to Christ that there's even a a greater amount of grace there for me? There's even more love. There's even more affection. There's even more from God for me than when I was lost. As much grace as there was when I was lost, that there was an avenue for me to come to Christ, I still was going to face wrath because I was unrepentant. But after I've repented, there's even more? It's almost like an infomercial. You mean I get more? Yeah, you get more, and there's no shipping and handling cost. It really is free. It is from Christ. God was patient with Israel. And it just doesn't make sense that He would die for somebody, that Christ would die for us in, in, in the first conflict, that we would even turn around and say, "God's trying to destroy us," because He's not. He is not. The tendency comes because we've been abused by the enemy and and, and there's fears and trust issues toward God. And God is patient. He was patient with Israel. And we know if you go through the whole wilderness experience, was God patient with Israel? I have a feeling that he was a lot more patient with Israel than you and I would have been had we been God. God, if it was me, I'd have said, I don't need this. Earth, open up and swallow all of them, not just Korah. Take them all. I know, go ahead and laugh. This, what we have to do is understand that we need to take on the mentality of what King David had. Scripture, and Moses told him, he said, look, he said, you just need to be still. You need to be still. Why? Because God's going to fight for you. God's going to intervene for you. God is going to do something miraculous. You just need to be still. How, how much further would we all be if we would just learn to be still sometimes in the midst of our afflictions? Instead of calling people, oh my God, Facebooking it, oh, it's awful. It's all right. Sometimes it's okay to, to have two or three people or some people maybe join you in prayer or, or even the prayer chain, whatever, join together. But let's do it in faith because God's in control of all of it. Amen? Listen to what David said. Psalm 37 Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass they will soon wither like green plants they will soon die away trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will do this he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn the justice of your cause like the noonday sun be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes refrain from anger and turn from ra- do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Does that sound familiar in light of what we were reading in Exodus? Mm-hmm. Just relax. Just, just be still before God. Come to God. Don't be complacent of yourself. Come to God and be still before Him and know that He is God. Yeah. And He's going to take care of it. This, this, this comparison here, it says right here, that if we trust in Him, if we delight in Him, if we commit our ways to Him, if we are still before the Lord and wait on Him, He's going to make us uh, our righteousness shine like the dawn. There's that intermingling of our submitted will to Him and His faithfulness to protect and, and to, to keep our righteousness. Is that not a blessing today? I think it is. We got a whole lot of reading to do here. Thirdly this morning... It was God that delivered us, and it's God that will keep us delivered. Exodus 14, we're going to read it all. Like I told them in the first service, we have a tendency when there's passages of Scripture that we've been taught when we were little kids and we're very familiar with, it's easy just to skim read them and not read them. And uh, because of that, we miss stuff. And just this last week in preparation for this, I saw a couple things that I didn't ever remember seeing before. Exodus 14, verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. I laughed in the first service because I said, it's funny, it took them that long to figure it out. <laughs> okay, the darkness in your, your nation, your kingdom didn't mean anything, the the gnats and the flies and the the the, the, uh, the, the frogs and the blood water and all that kind of stuff, oh, and your firstborn, that, that didn't mean anything, but... Oh, wait, our chariot wheels are falling off. God's fighting against us. Never mind. Never mind, we're going into a great chasm of water on both sides where there used to be a sea. Yes, let's follow our commander in here. But when the wheel falls off, oh no, we're in trouble now. Anyway. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Church, I dare say that without divine intervention that day, the children of Israel would have been destroyed. They had a nation coming against them that was a world power, they were not coming against them as slaves anymore, but they were coming against them as, as, as warriors with weapons ready to kill and to destroy. That these people were no longer in bondage. They were now just civilians that were unarmed, women and children. And these people were coming in to destroy. Remember that verse I said about the, the spirit when cast out of a man goes through arid places looking for rest and yet... When he doesn't find it, he comes back with seven spirits more wicked. Look at the increased violence following the deliverance of the children of Israel, but look at the increased protection of our loving God. What happened was as they stood there by the Red Sea, and God had a plan for the enemy to be destroyed. And he said, go ahead and stay here. But I'm going to take my presence, and instead of being in front of you, I'm going to go behind you now. Remember the scripture in Psalms that David says, Lord, where can I go from your presence? And he talks about him being hemmed in before and behind. And the presence of God goes behind Israel and stays there. And on one side of it was darkness throughout the night, and the other side of it was light for the children of Israel throughout the night. All night long they, they toiled and, and worried the other side of this just on the other side of this cloud is the enemy here to destroy us. What's going to happen when the sun comes up? There will be no more darkness. But God made a way and the wind blew all night long and separated the waters. God said I'm going to protect you long enough for you to have your escape route that I promised you I would have. And the enemy's hiding behind this and God's saying okay it's ready come across. And In the morning, in the daylight, all the children of Israel are across. The enemy is in the water. Moses puts a staff over and it closes in. In our turmoil and our trouble, in all the attacks of the enemy upon our lives, throughout our lives, I give you this word of encouragement. Sorrow may last for the night. But rejoicing comes. When? In the morning. The word of God is consistent, folks. And you and I must understand that even though we're saved, even though we're children of God, we must have and look for consistent and constant divine intervention for the protection of our souls, for the protection of our lives, for whatever it may be that God sees fit for His will, He must intervene. Because without Him, we're hopelessly lost to an enemy that we cannot defend ourselves against. We must have that presence presence of God I can't help but think of the fear the disciples had felt all night long after Jesus had been crucified on the cross and the long nights and the turmoil but when did the joy come folks came in the morning the deliverance was made for them As long as there is an enemy, we will always need God's divine intervention. Jude, verses 24 and 25, To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, to be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. It is God that keeps us. He keeps us. Jesus even told Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4.4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sounds like sustaining power, doesn't it? Oh, come on. Somebody help me out a little bit. Uh, I'm about done. Steve Steve and Devin, if you guys would come up. I just got a couple more things to share with you guys. I, I, I don't want to be a heretic. I got to read this part. John 15. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. This is what Jesus said to His disciples before He washed their feet. And Peter said, no, Lord, I can't. I can't do this. Okay? He's talking to me. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you see the dependence there from the branch to the vine? Do you see that dependence that, that there, there's an expectation to remain in the vine, obviously, through obedience. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. You mean if I don't have my dress a certain length or my slacks a certain way or my hair a certain way, uh, I can do nothing? No. If you live your life in disobedience to God, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my works remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's a pretty tough command, isn't it? You mean, Pastor Bob, if I'm loving God and I'm loving people, then I'm remaining in Him? Yeah. Pretty pretty tough, isn't it? It's not got all the rules and regulations of legalism, does it? Greater love is no man than this, they lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And we just sang it this morning, and Devin didn't even know it. I'm a friend of God. Are you obeying the word of God? If you obey the word of God, you will remain in him and his sustaining power will sustain you as you stay remaining in him, his truth. Lastly, this morning, in light of his divine intervention in keeping us, Jesus told three parables in the book of Luke. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to paraphrase them quickly. Parable of the lost sheep, Talking about how one wanders off and that the shepherd would leave the 99 to go find the one. And I always thought, Lord, that's really, that's really irresponsible. You got 99 good sheep that are following, that are doing what they're supposed to be, and then you got one, one stupid sheep, like, hey, look, something shiny. You know? The little ADHD sheep wandered around checking out stuff behind the bushes someplace, and all the others were saying, where did he go again? You know, and I thought, God, that's really irresponsible. Why would that shepherd always constantly worry? But what God spoke to me, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just showing you my heart and my love and my compassion. He said, first of all, Bob, number one, is that's an example of a worldly example of somebody that's not perfect. He said, I'm God. There is nowhere that that sheep can go away from my presence. He said, not only that, the 99 aren't being left behind because if, because the sheep hear my voice, they know me and they follow me. Those sheep, he said, if I was to leave and go find the one that was missing, where does the other 99 go? When you turn and leave them, they follow. I said, wow. So in other words, God, what you're saying is, is for that one, that wonder, the one that, gets out of focus and out of sorts and and maybe in virtue of some circumstances or whatever, they they wander off and and, and pretty soon you just don't see them anymore. They're valuable enough that God is there in their presence and He's drawing the 99 to say, come on, let's make this an easy way to get them back into the fold. You see, that's the heart of God, not to throw them away and say, well, that ridiculous sheep that's, that's always clueless and wandering off places, just forget them. I'm tired of dealing with them. Then there's the lost coin. You know, coins aren't lost by their own circumstances. They're not not lost by their own will. They're lost because of somebody else's irresponsibility. Somebody else that hasn't taught them. Somebody else that hasn't trained them. Somebody else that never poured into them spiritually. Uh, Maybe circumstances that that caused it to be lost. How many times have you seen people that have gone through really hard things that have said, God, I'm done. I quit. I'm out of here. I don't get it. And and before long, you look up and they're just not there anymore. God shows in this parable that He loves them enough that He would sweep the floor to find them. Divine intervention, folks. Do you hear me? Whether it be a sheep or a coin, God making His way to say, I am going to do all that I can to bring you back. And then there's the prodigal son, the son that looked at his father and said, I want nothing to do with you, I want my inheritance, you're worthless. To me, you're dead, and that son turned around and walked away. The father did not go looking for him. There are times in our walk where our will will say, I'm done with you, with God, and we'll turn the other way. In those times, he will patiently watch over us and wait for us to be sick and tired of our pig slop so that we'll repent. And when we do repent, We're welcomed back into the home. When we get to that place and we say, Father, I am not even worthy to be your son. He said, Kill the fattened calf. My son's finally figured it out. He was dead, but now he lives. Let's celebrate. There was celebration with the sheep, there was celebration with the coin, and there was celebration of that one that was rebellious and unrepentant when they become repentant. In all of these folks, we see divine intervention where God comes in and has His hand in it. That, that situation with that prodigal son, that prodigal son went out and that imperfect father could only stand and watch and wait and hope. But in our lives, our Heavenly Father, there is nowhere you can go that you are away from His presence. You may rebel, you may run, but wherever you go, you're still going to be there. And he'll be gently nudging you and drawing you back, watching over you and allowing you to fill yourself with the pig slop in the world. you know what? I look back and I see that in my life. I see divine protection in my life even when I was pursuing the pig slop because there was a loving father that was watching over me saying, I've got a plan for you. But when you repent, you can't get into that plan until you repent. (laughs) But when I came in, I said, I am not even worthy to be called your son. He said, let's kill the fattened calf. Celebrate. Whatever it is that you are dealing with this morning, God wants to intervene. Whatever the enemy wants to bring into your life, whether it's brought about just a wandering spirit, a lostness uh, from circumstances, or even possibly a little bit of rebellion, God wants to divinely intervene in your situation. Stand with me quickly and listen to this while you stand. We're going to pray here in just a minute. And as we pray, what we're going to do is, is we're going to invite people up that are dealing with some things. But I want to build your faith this morning. Can I build your faith before you even come? Last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, we had, obviously, those of you that were here know what happened. We just we had prayer and, and just allowed the Spirit of God to do His work. And uh, little Dusty Robinson's been on our prayer list for a couple of months now, at least has a hole in her ear. And um, I guess a couple of months ago, three months ago, whatever it was, they found this hole in her ear and the doctor told Misty and Jason, said, hey, uh, if it's going to close up, it'll close up in 30 days. Well, 30 days came and went, didn't close up. So they went in again after that, after another time to check it again to see if it closed up, nothing had changed. And as a matter of fact, in that time period, uh, Misty had gotten worried because she would say stuff to Dusty in crowds, or when she was on the ball field and she wouldn't respond, she wouldn't hear her in noisy environments, which those of you that know, obviously points towards some hearing complications. So as naturally a, a mom would be worried about that. Well, last Sunday we were praying for people and Misty went and got Dusty out of class and said, come on, we're going to pray for you. There's something about the faith of a, of a parent, isn't there? A little girl comes up, she's standing here, she's crying. She's scared, she didn't want me to pray for her. I tried to talk to her. And then after she started crying, I said, don't matter, we're praying for you anyway. So we prayed for her, but on Monday, Monday she had an appointment. This last week, Monday, for him to look at the ear again. The hole is gone. And her hearing test was perfect. Why? Because God is interested. That little baby was healed in the womb. And that's all we prayed. I said, Lord, you healed this baby once in the womb. She needs your healing touch again. Lord, intervene in her life. And you know what happened? He intervened. This morning, whatever you come with, it doesn't have to be a great big extravagant prayer. It just has to be something prayed in faith. Said, Father, I know that you know me. I know you're concerned about me. And Father, I just ask you to heal me or to move in this situation or this circumstance. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I just want to invite you to come and stand up here and line up the front wherever we're going to lay hands on you, whatever it is. If it's for healing, we're going to talk about healing in a couple weeks. But if it's, if it's whatever the situation is, you feel the enemy coming in and you need God to intervene, whatever it may be, let's just come and we'll seek Him together. Come as I pray this morning. Father.